Welcome to another episode of Peers Over Beers, your favorite digital and social evangelist podcast with your industry veteran hosts, Chris Tetzel. This podcast starts now. Welcome to another Peers Over Beers. I'm Chris Detzel, and we have Nicole Saunders from Zendesk. How are you, Nicole? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, I, I don't say your special guest anymore because this is their time and we'll have you <laughs> regular on a guest. lot more. My regular, regular, I like it. You know, it's such a, you've got good words to use. I'm, I'm the worst with using a bunch of good words. So, um, you know, we, we had this pre-show and I emailed you a little earlier this week about, you know, what, what should we talk about? And I, I, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. So why don't you kick it off and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, as I recall, I think I suggested that we sort of talk about the, the Pareto principle or what most people know of as the 80-20 rule uh, and how it applies to communities. Um, and it's it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately as I've been focused on, on building a couple of programs in our community. And so, you know, for anybody that's not familiar with it, it's sort of the idea that, uh, and this is a model that applies over all sorts of industries, fields, applications, things over time that typically about 20% of your inputs are going to create about 80% of your outputs. Mm. Um, and I was kind of like looking around on this and I found a, a cool YouTube video that Carrie Melissa Jones had put together and she's a great community expert that I, I love to follow. And she really yeah, kind she of unpacked really it. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's something we can put in the show notes or something like that, but yeah, I, for those, anyone listening, I highly recommend checking out her video. It's about five minutes long. Um, but she really talks about how this applies in communities. And I think What's interesting is in communities, sometimes it's even more dramatic than 80-20. Um, you hear people sometimes talk about like the 99-1 rule, right? Where it's uh, I think really it be like- 10 but yeah, maybe. Yeah, or 90-10-1 or, eh, well, that would be 101%, but you know, <laughs> go, go, go for the gold, I guess. Um, but it's really like the, the key point is this idea, and as Carrie put it in this video, that somewhere between four and 20% of the people that use your community are probably going to create the vast majority of yeah. the engagement and things. And that other huge number of people that use your community and aren't those top creators, those are your, you know, what we've historically called lurkers or some people call learners. Those are the people that are learning from your community. They're maybe coming through and watching a video or reading a conversation. Mm -hmm. They may never log in. They may never post, they may never vote, they may never even tell you that they're there other than your you know, page views on Google Analytics. Um, but that's a huge audience for your community. And um, so yeah, I was thinking we could kind of talk about the value of those, those top 20 or 10 or 1% users and, and really how to engage them and how to work with those in the community space. Yeah, and um, as I kind of think about it, I think it's, it seems to be true. And I've heard some of the same things I've heard it, you know, 90, 10. So 90% mm -hmm. of the people that come in are just kind of looking at your content and, and they're getting value out of it, right? Like they're reading some stuff. They might be just certain, might've searched it on Google and then came to your site. And then now they're a uh, long time kind of long timers, but they don't do much or anything. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, uh, my wife was telling me, uh, so she goes to that money or used to go to the money forums. I forgot what it's called, but money mustache or whatever. Right. And she goes, Oh yeah. yeah. I never log into that. I just go to the site and then read. And, and I learn from money mustache, you know, of how I just read and I go there all the time to do it. I don't know if she still does, but you know, she goes, no way I'm going to log into that. I don't want people on my stuff. So there could, it could be a lot of those kind of people, but I, I agree. How do you get, you know, build some programs around those 10%, 20%, whatever that number is 
because you mentioned something um, uh, earlier is, is that, you know, uh, we're trying to always get those 80%, 90% people engaged and involved and replying. And, you know, sometimes it's just not, you know, maybe out of that 90%, maybe you get one person, five, you know what I mean? Like, is it worth that yeah. effort? So instead, do you, <clears throat> not to say you don't give them a chance through kind of that onboarding piece, but maybe it's more of, you know, uh, we pr- create these really cool programs around um, those 10%, 20% that you're talking about that do want to engage, that do want to post, that want to be part of, you know, uh, reply or, you know, uh, be part of a, a webinar or whatever, right? You know, blog, I don't know, whatever you're trying to get them to do. Um, is that what you're, and you mentioned that you're looking at some programs. So I'm, I'm highly interested on kind of what you're trying to do. Thank yeah. You. Well, so to be clear, you know, when we think about that 80 or 90% of people that don't log in much, um, and I'll tell you, my husband's the same way. Like, I love talking about community management with him because he uses communities all the time. That's right. Yeah. He does not have usernames on most of the communities he uses, but he will not buy something unless he has read in-depth yeah. reviews and forum conversations and things like that. Um, so that's a really important audience, right? And it's not mm-hmm. to discount them or poo-poo them. And you got to think about them in terms of things like SEO and navigability of content and how to make it easy for them to find things. Mm -hmm. But as far as where you should really focus your efforts as as a community manager and on your community strategy, you're going to get a lot more sort of bang for the buck, if you will, by focusing on those top really active users and keeping them really engaged. Because again, they're the ones that are helping produce all the content that that other 80 to 90% are reading. and so, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of different ways to do this. And um, I think one of the most important ones is what is typically thought of as like a community champion program. Mm-hmm. Um, people have different names for this, but it's basically how you identify and recognize those people who are the most active, most passionate, um, the users that are helping answer other people's questions without, yeah. you know, you going in and saying, hey, Joe, you know, I'll throw you a hoodie if you answer this question. <laughs> but rather, <laughs> they're just doing it out of, you know, intrinsic motivation and, and sort of coming from an altruistic place of believing in the value of the community and wanting to give back to it. And so um, at Zendesk, we call this group our, our community moderators. Um, like I said, different companies and organizations have different names. Sometimes it's branded. Yeah. Um things like that. But, but for us, that has been a real key. Those people are like the heart and soul of the community. And so I think about like some of the different components of these kinds of programs. And, you know, the first one obviously is how do you recognize them in the community? Do you give them a badge? Is there a hall of fame or a profile page? Do you have like a community newsletter where you can highlight these people and interview them and really sort of lift them up and and call out uh, the fact that they're being generous with their time and with their knowledge. Um, These people are also typically gonna be the ones that have a lot of knowledge. And so it's helpful for other users to know when they're interacting with these folks, hey, I'm I'm interacting with somebody who's kind of an expert. Uh, you know, yeah. this, this guy is kind of a big deal and it means something that they're, they're responding to me. When you're, you're creating a little bit of peer-to-peer networking too, you know. Exactly. Sure, right? They know who the well, experts are, but then they know that they're from this company or whatever, right? Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, communities are all about connecting users to one another, Um, especially in branded communities, which is, you know, sort of the space that you and I are both in. Um, There's a lot of brand to user connection in most communities. And 
that hmm. tends to be the easier motion for most of us because like companies yeah, know true. how to do marketing. They know how to engage an audience. They know how to do that broadcast piece. They've got success folks that know how to go in and engage customers. But how you connect customers to one another is, is the more challenging piece. And so these are the programs that often do that. And a lot of the customers are connecting with those top core users. Um, I, this, this is highly interesting to me because uh, I'm building kind of our first, I call it rewards, recognition, gamification to get to, you know, kind of this super user program over time, right? You know, <laughs> our, our community is really new, but I think, you know, to see that, you know, people do like swag and all that stuff. So I'm building all that that out, but I do want to get to where you're talking about to where, you know, users are now moderating the, for you, the Zendesk communities, right? And they're, they're the ones answering questions. They're the ones saying, no, you can't do, you know, I don't know, whatever they're doing, you know, but they're kind of the important people that you have to highlight. So I'm interested in your, uh, what I'm saying is keep going, Nicole, because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> say more I mean, things. Say more things because it's music <laughs> to my ears uh, because I'm building yeah. that out too. Yeah, no, well, so one, you know, when we think about gamification, um, I think everybody knows that gamification is important, right? Like yeah. who doesn't love getting their little badges? I, I cannot believe the amount of power that my Apple Watch has over me when I'm like trying to hit my seventh <laughs> workout in a row to get that cool badge, right? Yeah, yeah. But there are limitations to internet cookie points. You know, it'll it helps remind people to come back. It's a nice dopamine boost. Most people probably aren't sitting around in the morning being like, oh, I can't wait to go to the community and answer a question. So I get my like blue star badge. And so I think one of the keys when you're maybe designing, they, designing this. Maybe if maybe. they're thinking about getting their blue star badge tomorrow, I was like, if I do this tomorrow, then I get this blue star badge. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, go. go. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things that's important in designing is making sure that those rewards are meaningful, right? And mm -hmm. not just that they're fun and they're interesting and they bring you back, but that they help both the people that receive them as well as the other people that observe those badges understand it gives them context, right? Mm. Uh, what does it mean to have done 500 posts or to be a top most voted person? That tells you something about that person's level of expertise about their ability to help others, that kind of thing. And so I think that when you're designing those gamification systems, you know, fun is absolutely a big part of it. Sure. But the other piece should be how it, helps give context to who you're engaging with in the community. Um, and then okay. I actually did a presentation at one of the, one of these virtual conferences that we've done during the pandemic a little while back, um, <laughs> all about how we kind of launched our moderator program. And I, I called it on a shoestring budget because at the time we didn't have a huge budget for yeah. swag or things like that. And obviously we weren't flying people to conferences or any of those <laughs> things. Um, Although we'd, we'd planned to that year, that got derailed pretty quickly. Um, but thinking about, you know, what are the things that bring value for those people that can thank them and keep them engaged? Because this is one of the keys that I've seen over time is that there are people that will come in and they'll like join the community and go gangbusters for a month and like answer yeah, a bunch of questions right. and then they fall off the face of the earth. Yeah. And so where these programs can be helpful is sort of grabbing those people that are really active and saying, hey, why don't you keep being active at a sustainable level? And we're gonna throw you some perks and some benefits for doing that. And it encourages them to continue that. Um, so, but I think one of the key things there is saying sustainable level. Somebody comes in and yeah. does hundred posts, don't ask them to keep doing hundred posts a month. Ask them to do 10, you know? Yeah, can you stop there? I'll get somebody else to do that. <laughs> like, because they are gonna burn out. Um, yeah. But, you know, so 
it's sort of interesting because I was, I was talking with an executive about this and they were asking me, you know, should we, should we be giving people monetary benefits? Is that what it takes to get people to, uh, whether it's answering questions in the community or leading a meetup? And, and what I said was, you know, you want to identify those people who are intrinsically motivated from the get-go, the people that are mm-hmm. already engaging, that are already sharing their knowledge, because those are the ones that are going to mm-hmm. stick around and continue to provide quality. Yeah. Now, there is a place where you start sort of continuing to buoy that and keep them rolling with some additional um, perks and things like that. But when you're first starting out, you don't want to just be throwing money at people. Right, um, I agree. They won't, they won't stick around and they won't be as authentic in their engagement with you. Maybe it's, and you tell me, and, and the way I kind of think, it, certainly you have swag and stuff that I think that's partly important, especially to kind of, you know, get people somewhat excited about, but that, that just doesn't last long. I mean, how many hats or shirts or whatever can you make, you know, to, to one person, you know what I mean? So. Totally. Um, we, and we ran into that. We did um, participation contests with our moderators several times, about twice a year, we were doing this contest and saying, Hey, everybody that does, you know, 20 responses to other users gets a t-shirt and if we hit yeah. our stretch goal, then everybody's going to get a hoodie and <laughs> things like that. And eventually people were like, you know, guys, I have like a week's worth of yeah, exactly. clothing. Like that doesn't really motivate me anymore. Um, and that was a good lesson for, for the team to learn that like there is a limit to how much swag keeps people excited about stuff. And then you got to have more meaningful benefits around it. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm running into that now. I mean, I have, I've sent out some swag and people are excited, but now I'm creating some really cool swag, but you know, uh, long-term I've got to think of other ways to, 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 you know, engage these folks and, and, and reward and recognize them. And, and I like some of the things that you said, and, and it was more around what one, it just, just recognizing, like, like if somebody is doing this thing a lot, you know, recognize that person that they're doing that. Maybe it's in a newsletter, maybe it's in something else so that, you know, people know, you know, and, and that's, that's all that is, is recognition. You know, people want to be recognized for what they're doing, you know, and, you know, it, it could be, um, and, and you tell me, but, you know, I think it's potential access to, you know, certain people within your organization, right? Could be a PM or it could be, you know, the chief customer officer or the CEO, you know, maybe you have a little bit of access. We get 10 of those people in and we have like a conference, hey, or a conference call with our CEO and you just have that special access because you're these people that are special to our, I don't know, whatever that is, but it doesn't yeah. have to be stuff you're spending money on all the time. So once a year you do, hey, you know, you're, you're in the club and, the, and, and you're going to once a year, talk to our CEO once a year, you know, do these things. Maybe it's five, seven things that you can do. That's not necessarily rewarded by, you know, things, but in addition to have those things. I don't totally. Know. I mean, it is all about recognition and access. Those tend to be the two levers that we can pull. And so when I think of recognition, you know, stuff in the community, um, are there things that they can go put on their LinkedIn or their mm-hmm. resume? Can you create those kinds of credentials? Um, Badges. One thing that we did is we started doing after somebody was in our moderator program for a year of consecutive activity, we'd go write a review for them on their LinkedIn and say like, hey, this person's been a member of our community. Nice. They're super knowledgeable. They're really good writers, you know, and that's us calling out something that other professionals can see on their profile. But I think your point about access is really great um, because, you know, that is one of one of the key things. And so one of the things we do is we let our moderators um, each month, they get to vote on what uh, product area they're interested in hearing about. And then we set up a call and oh, anybody nice. that's been active that month gets to come in and get a little 
sneak peek into what product managers are looking at and gets to ask them some questions and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and to your point, you know, you can start to create even more levels of that. You know, maybe there's a once a year, everybody that hits a certain threshold gets to go have a lunch with the CEO or Zoom yeah. lunch or something. Yeah. Um, there's, there's different ways that you can create that. Um, we've also started looking at things. We've, we've kind of leveraged all of the stuff we have internally as far as people can get access to. And now we're starting to look at things mm -hmm. like, what are other needs that people in that program have? Are there other professional resources we can connect them to? You know, could like we that. pay for a cool coaching session on something? You know, could we have somebody mm -hmm. come in and talk about how everybody can up-level their LinkedIn's or are there other topics that are really relevant to them? And it's sort of interesting. I find myself looking at things that I'm trying to do to level up my team from a professional development standpoint and say, okay, well, can we do something similar for our <laughs> awesome people in the community? And, you know, yeah. um, and, and for us, it's because so much of the drive for people is building up that professional expertise and things that make them better at work. And so we're trying to understand, like, what are ways we can help support that and facilitate that? And, you know, I think a lot of people get daunted by the idea of like, oh, man, I need a budget so I can buy all this swag and I can... Mm send people food and I can, you know, again, like once we were back to traveling, you know, fly them into the office for a visit and things. There's actually a lot of things that you can do that are valuable that don't cost a ton of money or that you can do that are really scalable. Um, yeah. Like bringing, you know, having a special workshop or having some of those access points and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I just think using the digital tools that, you know, like, like you said, I mean, anybody can do a webinar, anybody can, write a LinkedIn thing, you know, like you said, these are scalable kinds of things. How do you, so, so something that sort of freaks me out is so I have to hire somebody to help me build out the program because one, one, I, I can't do everything, right? Like I'm not, you know, super smart on every single piece of thing in community, right? So you have to find those experts to kind of, kind of do that kind of thing. Like, you know, your thing might be content writing and all this other stuff, like you mentioned before, but one of the things you've never done before was kind of build out a super user program. What does that even mean? How do you even do that? What does that look like? You know? And, um, but as you kind of start looking at that, do you feel like you're uh, built adequate? I mean, you guys have, you know, four or five people on your community staff. So, you know, but I know they're doing a bunch of other things. Do you have somebody that is resourced to help you do that? And, and you know, what does that look like, you know, to you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think it, it kind of harkens back to that thing that we've talked about, I think a couple times now where historically yeah. the community managers were like, wear all the hats people and do all of the things. And as community is starting to become a bigger and bigger part of businesses, there's a recognition that it takes yep. a full team of people with specialized skills in different areas to do things. Um, so what I did at my team, one of my top priorities was hiring a senior manager mm -hmm. to run user programs. So we actually have three programs that we work with in the Zendesk community. So we have our moderators, which is those like super users in the forums. Um, and then we're currently working on uh, launching or sort of relaunching the other two. One is user groups. So those like user-led meetups and or like other people call it like a chapter program. Um, and then the third is working with our customer marketing team and building out a customer advocacy function. Hmm. Um, and uh, so I have the senior manager who's overseeing those three programs and the intention that we're working towards is building out a team where he's got one or two people working on each of those programs. Because okay. of course, as they scale, you know, to your point, you need to spend a lot of attention on it. And um, I saw another, another, I've <laughs> been, been playing around on LinkedIn a lot lately. And I saw a post that David Spinks did um, yeah. where he 
he, I think he reposted an old tweet that just said, you know, community isn't built by the posts, it's built by the comments, right? I saw that how, too. Yeah. how you respond. And then somebody else retweeted it and their caption was like, you know, community is built by doing unscalable things, right? Things that don't scale. And it's because really what they're calling out there is that you have to be high touch yeah. up front to build these things. And that's, oh, that's why, that's you know, to bring this full circle, that's why this top 20% of users is so important. You got to be really high touch with a small group of people yeah. so that they can go be high touch with broader groups of people because you as a community manager are never going to be able to reach 10,000 people yourself. You're going to be able to reach a hundred people yourself. And then those hundred are going to help you reach out to that 10,000 or whatever your, your numbers are. That's, and so, that's yeah, very well said. to have those things like staffed effectively. No, it, it's very well said. You know, something I, I do tell people though, is, is that, you know, these, the CSMs are, when you think of a CSM, they're super high touch, right? That you have 20, 30 people, companies that they might, you know, interact with. And that's a lot of people to spend that high touch. I tell mm -hmm. people, and, and you, you brought another uh, aspect, but I always tell people, look, I have thousands of customers potentially, right? Like, yeah. you know, and so, although, you know, it, it's just me, I, but I can't effectively, you know, reach those thousands of people, you know, unless I have other people with it. So you're talking more about the community themselves at 20%, 10% to really help you scale that, right? Answer the questions mm -hmm. and do a bunch of other shit that you create the programs that allow them to do all that other shit, right? And incentivizing them and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's, that's very well said. I, I really like that. I mean, it was- Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I think of it as, as building community from the inside out, right? At first, it yeah. starts with like, you got to have a really solid community team and then they build out these programs and those programs engage those top 20% and those top 20% are really what help you do all of the rest. And that's not to say that as a community manager, you're not paying attention to that bigger picture. You know, we're mm -hmm. constantly having to zoom in and out. Um, but you do have to have those levels of, of things because to your point, you can only reach out to so many people in a day or in a week and you can only have meaningful conversations with so many people. Um, so you have to sort of be able to do that uh, in levels and in and layers so you can scale it. What do you do? So to get a little off topic, sorry about mm -hmm. that, but I, I, no some things came into my <laughs> mind is... So, you know, for me being a team of one, and, and so I know you've had to deal with this in the past and, you, and I know you mm -hmm. have to still deal with this, just even with having a bigger team is there's just so much you can do. So when I think of community, I think, I do think of, you know, user groups and, you know, programs that allow your uh, customers and partners or your users to get the most out of the product, super user programs, you know, uh, events, and there's a lot of things to do, right? There's, a, and, and then, I, you know, even if it's recent, we just had our scope and, you know, the positive is people continue to talk about community within our organization and how important it is. And, and it's great. You know, I think I did a really good job there, but <laughs> sometimes, you know, like somebody was like, Chris, I continue to tell you about user groups and our customers really want user groups and everything else. And I'm like, that's great. But, you know, it's not in my plan this year and, and this, I don't have a resource or a budget and, you know, oh, well, we can easily get together, you know, and just throw, I was like, yeah, we, we can easily get together and get somebody, you know, people to show up at an event. I could probably get 30 people, no problem, but how do you scale it and how do you make it continuous and how do you show the value of those kinds of things today? That's not my budget. Let's look at it in Q3. But it, and it was like, you feel bad because I know that's a huge program that's going to drive a lot of really cool stuff. But I mean, 
I have no, like I've, I've got it. I own too much already to go in and do something else. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I don't know if you get some of that too, still, I'm sure you do, but. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, I have a team of six and there's still constantly yeah. things that we have to say no to and things that were like, that is a great idea. And it would be super impactful and we yeah. can't do it this year. <laughs> um, yeah. So think about it as a, you know, one other teams in the company probably say no to stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, how many times have you gone out and said, you know, hey, creative team, I need you to redesign my homepage. And they're like, yeah, not a priority. <laughs> Business exactly. Sorry. So I think that as community managers, you know, we, we're really empathetic people and we want to yeah. help and we want to support things. And we're good at juggling a lot of things at once. I mean, that's part of why most of us get into community because we like how dynamic it is. Um, but you do have to get comfortable with saying no. And I think like one of the smartest things you said right there was, I need these resources. I need this kind of budget and I don't have it right now. Yeah. And, you know, making it really clear for people of like, yeah, absolutely. I want to launch user groups. I've written up a whole plan for it. And as soon as, the, you know, we're ready to prioritize the resources we need, we'll make it happen. Uh, but I think one of the biggest mistakes an organization can make is to spin things up mm-hmm. without having those things in place. Because as soon as you start, you're making a promise to your customers. Yeah, and if you you're not able plan. to follow through on it and maintain exactly. it, that's worse than just not having it it's, to begin with. I, I guess, you know, people throw a lot of tactics out there that they think is good and everything else. And then people just kind of hang on to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that I've started that I started this year to do because, you know, first it's for me, it was about building the community, right? Like getting people in the community, building the community itself, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now it's about thinking strategically uh, about, we have people in community, we still need to make it grow, but you know, what are the programs that are going to allow it to grow and what's the least, what is the most bang for my buck at the minute, right? Like, you know, for example, I am starting, like I said, trying to build this, rewards recognition gamification program, which will lead to a super user program potentially, right? Like, but I, I did tell the organization is, that, I mean, that's in my plan. That's what I'm going to do. Also in my plan in Q3 is that I get a headcount. If I don't get this headcount, didn't say it like this, but basically said that, you know, I mean, I can't do it. You know, I'll continue mm-hmm. to do whatever I'm already doing. Uh, and that's all I can do. I cannot run, this program will be ready to go when that person comes up. And all I have to do is just run it. You know what I mean? Uh, because yeah. I'm, I'm building it and everything else. I, I can make the time for that, but I'm not going to run it as another program. And if somebody wants to now do a user group program, I need a resource. I need a budget and I need a plan. I need a plan for that, right? Like I need to know exactly what that's going to look like, right? So I think that's an important piece is as you kind of look at these select 20% and 10% is you know, you have to build programs for them, but you also have to say no to some of these programs that, you know, you just can't do unless, you know, the, the company really wants to put forth the money. Show me the money is, I don't know if you guys heard Scott talk about last week, but, um, you know, you got to show us the money. Yes, I got to show the value and everything else yep. is always ROI and all that kind of stuff, you know, but I'm, I'm starting to say not no, but it's more of, I mean, it's great and we should do it. I agree, but how are we going to do it? You know, and how do we sustain it? That's the key is throwing one or two things out there, you know, just doing it. It's not helpful. It's not, it doesn't move the needle anywhere. It just shows that you can do it. And then you, I don't want to lose it. You know what I mean? Like, well, the key there is I'll do a pilot. 
Yeah. I will run one user group. I can manage one myself yeah. and I'm going to do a pilot and we're going to show how it would work and show the mm. value and then say, all right, we did a pilot. It was super successful. We're showing value. If we want to scale this, here's what that takes. <laughs> you know, and See, I think- you're, so, you're always bringing it around. It's so smart. Okay, I like that. <laughs> well, that was like one of our first conversations, right? Was sort of talking about yeah, how you kind of got to like show what you that. can do and then yeah. go ask for the money. But the key is like, that's where I think as community professionals, it's so important for us all to build those skill sets of how to think strategically and articulate mm -hmm. that strategy. So you can go out and say, I'll do the pilot. I'll show you the value. And then to scale it, here's what we're going to need. And if we can't get those things, I can't scale it. I'm a team of one. I've got, you know, yeah. all of these other responsibilities. I, I like it though. And it is so important that we do it right, right? I'm not going to like try to throw it out there and wing it. <laughs> it's yeah, not going to fly if I do it that way. <laughs> you, you can't do that. And I like that a lot. Um, and, and, and I'm glad you brought it around to that is, okay, you know, we can try it. And then, you know, uh, and then you'll show some success and you'll show what success looks like. You'll, you'll get people to write down shit, you know, to say, yeah, this is all that we got to do this again. Oh my God. It's so valuable. Why was it valuable? Well, because I get to talk to my peers and we learned how to do this better and you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, I like it. Actually, you, you made me think a little differently than seeing just now. Yeah. I, <laughs> so. well, you know, and I mean, this is, it's, it's always a back and forth. Right. And I think pilots yep. are really good at also collaborating. Um, we've had some programs where we really want to do something. We don't have the additional headcount for it. And so I said, I'll tell you what, DSM, we can launch a user group for your book of business or your group of customers, hmm. but I'm going to need you to commit to leading six of those meetups this year. I'm going to need you to commit to doing these things hmm. I don't have the resources on my team, but if you want to collaborate, and that's actually been a really great way for us um, to start to build some things out while we're waiting on headcount to be available or waiting on budget to come through or something. So again, you can kind of run those pilots or you can do sort of like a minimal version of it and lean into other resources that are available within the company. The caveat there being, you know, you want to make sure you're still asking for those resources with your team, because if somebody else gets reprioritized, you don't want to be left holding the bag. <laughs> when you, I, I agree. And the, the thing is with CSMs, their accounts are always changing, right? So, um, mm -hmm. And there's new people coming in and out all the time. And I mean, I think that's yep. just in organizations, period. So it's not just picking on CSMs. Um, as you kind of look at some of those uh, roles of those engagement type to the 20%, 10%, whatever uh, you want to say, but is when you look at staffing that and you actually get the person to do it, you know, so somebody in your case running the user groups and some other stuff, what does that person look like? You know, does it have to be somebody that is extremely knowledgeable about how to run it or is it just depend or, you know, what did you look for and what are your thoughts there? I definitely look for people that had experience doing it before. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody that's, that's been through the trials and tribulations and learned some of the lessons on the ground. Um, anyone you talk to is going to have sort of a different mix of, yeah. of experience. I ended up with somebody that had a lot of experience in an advocacy program and less so with user groups but was able to articulate how that knowledge they had was really transferable and how they could leverage it to run both kinds of programs. I think as they hire specialists to start delegating the individual programs to you, they're gonna look for people that are really sort of in that niche. Um, and what's great is, you know, not only are we starting to see specializations of roles, but I'm starting to see a lot of specialization of 
training programs too. You're seeing things like, mm. you know, ComSource, C-School and stuff. Oh yeah. Where they're starting yeah. to put out education that isn't just general community management, but that speaks specifically to things like community operations or yeah. user programs or something like that. So I hope we continue to see that happen in the industry. And I, I imagine that we will because we're all starting to recognize, you know, hey, the person that's really good at figuring out how to support our customers in the community might be really different from the person who's really good at figuring out how to get chapter leaders engaged in running meetups. And that might be really different from the person that does webinars really effectively. And and so you got to start hiring for those specific skill sets um, yeah. and looking for people that can bring that expertise into the program. I like that. That's a, that's a really good answer. Um, because, you know, as I kind of look at my next hire, you know, my, my thought was I was going to call him like a community engagement manager, you know, basically it's just a community manager. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you mentioned and even um, uh, Elizabeth mentioned on the last, last uh, Peers Over Beers, you know, you just, it depends on the person you're trying to hire. But I know you mentioned that, you know, you really like the operational person that, uh, that you mm -hmm. hired and you sort of wished it was kind of a hard one to should I go for that one first or not? You know, so it's, it's, but it's, it saved your life in a way, or at least kind of made your life a lot easier, you know, to, yeah. That, so. I think, you know, when you're in, in those early days, those first couple of hires have to be generalists yeah. because, you know, yeah. you're going to need somebody else who can also help wear multiple hats. Um, but really it's like when a team starts growing beyond about three or four, then you can really start to specialize and, and kind of hone in on those things. Yeah. Now that makes sense. Any other programs that you're, you said two and mentioned one of them, any? So, gonna... yeah, so like our, our three primary engagement programs, we've got our community moderators, which is really specifically like users who are knowledgeable and active in our online forum and want to help other people there. Okay. Right. And so it's a very specific, like, yeah, they have knowledge and they're really active in a certain space. Then we've also got our user groups and we're looking at chapter leaders that's sort of that top 20%, right? And those are users who want to lead a meetup in their area. Yeah. Or because we're now in this wonderful hybrid world and can do some things virtually too. Um, we've got like, we've got a user group launching next week that's just for community managers that use Zendesk's community platform. And so oh, okay. cool. they're going to start having a user group that's going to meet on a regular basis. And so we're getting some like- I like that'd be so easy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Manage. Well, there's a reason that with our pilot, we're starting yeah. that one for, <laughs> for, for a reason. We've got some in-house experts, it turns out. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, so we're starting to get something that are like more like role-based, you know, we're looking at one for knowledge managers, we've got yeah. one for support managers. Now those people might also be part of the Austin chapter or the Chicago chapter and like mm -hmm. go to the in-person meetups locally and then go to the virtual meetups for mm -hmm. that sort of role or persona-based kind of thing. So that's our user groups. And then the third is that customer advocacy piece. And um, somebody internally asked me, I was like, why do we have all these different programs? And it's like, well, you end up with users who come in and they have varying levels of knowledge, but they're enthusiastic. They want to participate and they want to be leaders. And you got to sort of channel them different directions depending on how they want to express that. Yeah. You know, we, we've got our moderators who are super knowledgeable in the product. And that's like part of what is required to do that role. But a lot of those people like are not super extroverted. They don't want to be on camera. They don't want to lead an event. They just want to mm. share their knowledge in the forum. Yeah, yeah. Then you've got other people who are super enthusiastic and they really want to connect with other people, but maybe they're not like super technically savvy mm -hmm. or maybe they're kind of new or something. Those are great chapter leaders, right? If they're like, they love organizing stuff and they want to lead a group of people and connect, funnel them that way. 
And then there are the people that are like, really care about connecting with other users as much, but I'm really enthusiastic about the product and I want to like share my story and I want to help others through that kind of a thing. Or I want to just do an occasional thing. I don't want to have to go in the forums all the time. I don't want to leave meetups all the time, but I'd love to like once or twice this year, speak at an event or something. And that's yeah. where that advocacy program comes in. Right. And how do you sort of get people signed up to be shining the spotlight? And so by offering these different things, we can find different ways to engage people. And we started, you know, talking about how you've got your 80 or 90% and it can be kind of a wasted effort sometimes to try to be convincing those readers yeah. into active users. But one of the other ways that you can expand is by having different offerings for those active users. You can start to engage sort of more sub personas of those active people. Whereas like if you, all you have is a moderator program, well, now that excludes like in our case, anyone that's not super product knowledgeable, we don't have a super user program for you. But by adding user groups and by adding an advocacy program, all of a sudden now there's new avenues that we've unlocked for people who are enthusiastic, even if they don't engage in the forums or don't have the product knowledge or something like that. I love how you're engaging your users the way they want to be engaged. I mean, I think we talked about this in the very beginning is not one way is going to you know satisfy everybody. So you have to create these programs to allow them to engage uh, the way they they feel comfortable doing, right? And then you start yep. doing that, you'll see that 20%, you know, really just, I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting on all cylinders, right? Like you're creating some great content uh, online community. You're creating some great peer-to-peer -peer networking with, you know, the chapters and everything else and user groups and then advocacy. I mean, people are just talking about your brand like crazy and, you know, uh, making marketing and the organization happy for all the things that you're created and and all those things sit under you right under the community director i love they it they do they do i will say that you know like ivc program is, is a collaboration with our customer marketing team and um it's actually yeah. been this amazing thing where it's it's a totally co-owned program mm. like 50 50 uh and at first everybody was like oh my god how are we going to govern this and like how are we going to explain this and whose budget does it sit under and i was like you know let's let's split the cost. Let's split the responsibilities. Let's divvy it up. Um, and, and it's actually worked out really well. And it's, um, it's really shown how you can kind of be that connective tissue throughout the organization. Um, That's super cool. Yeah. You, it's, so, it's not easy, but it's, it's a cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's never easy. And, and, and <laughs> just, just, uh, as you kind of talk, I mean, everybody does it a little bit differently, yeah. but you know, that's, that's what peers over beers is for is, is to kind of get that out there a little bit. And, you know, I appreciate you really sharing, I mean, some really detailed uh, information on, on, you know, your engagement strategy or, you know, the way you're engaging your 20%, uh, 10%. I don't know. I mean, maybe it is 20, which is whatever ridiculous. the awesome. small percent, the small bucket of yeah. super users. <laughs> yeah. I just think, you know, hopefully my bosses don't hear all this, you know, the 20%. I always say 10. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, that's like I said, I really like how Carrie said it's like it's somewhere between four and 20%, right? And it's going to vary <laughs> over time depending on what you're doing. Yeah. It's um, a good point. The key point is just that, like, there's going to be a very small number of people that are going to really drive your program. And so the yeah. most effective place for you to focus is on that, that small group of really passionate people and build that out. And that's going to have compounding effects. And it's, it's going to just help your whole community grow. You know, it would be interesting call next time is uh, something around like metrics and how you kind of look at what value means to the organization when you present like, hey, these user groups are doing this, you know, what is it that you're 
your uh, gold on and what are you trying to, to do? And then maybe even go to each section to say, you know, I, I'm not saying you give us your metrics, but give us ideas of what metrics could look like, you know, yeah. and what is bringing um, uh, value to that. Because to me, you know, look, I can get a program up and running and doing amazing things, but the harder part is to show the organization value, right? Like if I'm doing this webinar program, well, we know that um, the webinar program is doing really well, but how do we really know? And what does it mean it's doing really well? You know what I mean? Like, and so my assumption is that you have some kind of, I don't know if it's true ROI, but you know, it's something to share with your organization, your leaders to continue to invest and, and show. And is that, is that fair? We won't get into that, but. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. You know, I think data is always, always an interesting challenge. ROI is always a big question, um, but I definitely have thoughts on at a minimum, what I would like to be reporting on and, and what I think people should report on. And, you know, it's always something you keep working towards dialing in. I like it. We'll, we'll talk about that next time. Well, Sounds good. Nicole, thanks for coming on to another Peers Over Beers. I'm Chris Detzel and Nicole Saunders. Thanks so right, much for Nicole. having me, Chris. Thanks. <laughs>